Welcome to the Bible Foundations program. I'm delighted to have you with us today as we continue to look at the life of our Lord Jesus Christ and now the death and his burial and the significance and the meaning of all of this just for you and I today. But we want to look at the Old Testament for a few moments today. Have you ever thought of the Old Testament as a signpost? Now God knows the truth about us. He knows that everyone has been lost. We've lost our way to God. But he has made sure that the way back to himself is well marked. That's what the Bible is all about. The Old Testament is like God's signpost because so many historical incidents recorded in the Old Testament pointed forward to the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just turn back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7 and we'll see how God has begun right there to give us some of those signposts to himself. Now you remember what Adam and Eve did when they sinned and they became aware that they were naked? They made coverings of leaves. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now did God accept the clothing that they'd made? No. God refused to accept what they made because he wanted to teach them that they couldn't do anything to make themselves acceptable to him. Now, this is a critical point, you see, because God wants each one of us to realize this, too. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. Going to church, providing for our families, doing good deeds, giving to the needy, taking care of the environment, all of these things we should do, but none of these things will make us acceptable to God. What about you? Are you trying to do something to make yourself right before God? If you are, you need to realize that what you're doing is no more acceptable to God than the clothes that Adam and Eve made. No matter how hard we try, we can never make ourselves fit for heaven by the things that we do. Now verse 21 says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. God refused to accept the clothing that Adam and Eve had made. Instead, he himself killed animals and made clothes for them. Similarly, God refuses to accept anything we do to make ourselves pleasing to him. But because he loved us, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die for us so that we could be made acceptable to him. How then must a person respond to God in order to be accepted by him? Well, to be accepted by God, a person must first admit that he's a sinner and refuse to trust in any longer in what he can do. Every person to be accepted by God must put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, his Deliverer, the Promised One, believing that when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, he made full payment with his life for our sins. You see, if you put your faith only in him, then just as God put clothes that he had made on Adam and Eve, he will forgive your sins and accept you as perfectly right before him. Now, make sure you understand that God will accept you not because you are sinless, but because the Lord Jesus who died in your place is sinless. Everyone who trusts in him alone are forever accepted by God because they are clothed or covered with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Now let's move on and consider the events of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first two sons, who both brought offerings to the Lord. 
In Genesis 4, 1-5, we read, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And again she bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground as an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was wroth, and his countenance fell. Why was it that God rejected Cain in the things he brought? God rejected Cain because he came to God his own way according to his own ideas, and not the way God had commanded. God had made it clear from the beginning that whenever anyone came to worship him, he must bring an animal and kill it and allow its blood to run out. God said to do this because he knew that one day his own son would give his own blood to pay for the sins of the world. Now Abel was a sinner too, but he was accepted by God simply because he trusted in God to save him, and he brought the blood sacrifice God required. The lamb that Abel killed and offered to God reminds us of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what John the Baptist said about the Lord Jesus when, when John saw him walking toward him on the banks of Jordan? He cried out in John one twenty nine, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. God accepted Abel because he trusted in him and brought him the right offering. In the same way, God will accept all of those who place their faith in the Lord Jesus and his blood that was shed for, for the sins of everyone in the whole world. Oh, my friend, Jesus Christ is the only Savior, and man must have faith in order to please God and be saved. Now, you'll remember also reading in the Bible in Genesis chapter 6, about the way people were living in Noah's time just before the flood. Verse 5 of Genesis 6 tells us, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Finally, God's patience ran out. Because the people refused to listen to God's warning given through Noah, God said he was going to destroy the world by a flood. And verse 7 tells us, just exactly that. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from off the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But did God to intend to destroy Noah, who like Abel knew he was a sinner and trusted in God to send a deliverer? Let's look at verses 8 and 9. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. In verse 13, God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and pitch without. Noah had to do the building of the ark just exactly the way God the designer gave it to him to do. God knew how to build that ship. And do you remember how many doors it had? Verse 16 tells us, And a window shalt thou make in the ark, and in the cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. With the lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. There was only one door. There was only one way they could enter that ark and be saved from God's judgment. Before the flood came, 
The animals and Noah and his family entered by that one door, and God shut them in. Inside the ark they were safe from God's punishment of the sin on the sinful world. Everyone outside that ark died in the flood because they refused to believe God and enter in by that one door. You see, that door reminds us of the Lord Jesus, who is the only way to eternal life. When anybody believes that Jesus died for his sins and puts his trust only in him, God forgives his sins and gives him eternal life. Now, don't be foolish like people in Noah's day who refused to enter the ark and be saved. Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Another incident recorded in the Old Testament pointed forward to the Lord Jesus in his death for sinners, and that's found uh, in the event of the Egyptians that God punished by killing their firstborn. Firstborn in every family was killed by the plan of God because they refused to believe God, and they refused to let the people of Israel go from the captivity of the Egyptians. You see, the Israelites would have lost their firstborn too, but God had made a way of escape for them. God commanded the Israelites to choose a lamb that was in perfect condition. Amen. Exodus chapter 12 verse 5 says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. These perfect lambs of the Israelites remind us of the Lord Jesus. He was born without sin. He lived a sinless life. Because Jesus was sinless, he could be accepted by God as the payment for our sin. Now, it's an interesting thing, no coincidence, my friend, that to hasten the death of a crucifixion victim, the guards would often break the leg bones, and that would make it impossible for the person to use his legs to push him up to help him breathe. Now, John 19:32 and 33 says that when the soldiers came to break the bones of Jesus and the two men who were crucified with him, Jesus was already dead. They did not break his bones. Do you remember that this is one of the requirements of the Passover lamb? The Israelites must not break its bones. Jesus fulfilled every requirement of the perfect sacrifice for sin. Now, in verse 6 of Exodus 12, uh, we realize that the Israelites had to keep the lamb until the time that God said they should kill it. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. You see, the lamb had to die, and its blood had to be shed if the firstborn child was to be saved from death. In the same way, it was necessary for the Lord Jesus to give his blood as the payment for our sins. There was no other way that we could be saved from God's judgment of our sin. God is holy and righteous, and he demands death as the payment of sin. Jesus Christ is the only one who could pay that penalty. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. But the only way any man can please God and be saved is to come to him by faith. Even though the Israelites killed the lamb and caught the blood in the basin as God had commanded them, the firstborn child would die unless they did the next thing that God commanded in verse 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Now this teaches us that merely knowing that we are sinners and that the Lord Jesus died for our sins will not save us from God's terrible judgment. 
Lots of people know they're sinners, but they're still lost. Lots of people know that Jesus died for our sins, but that's not enough, my friend. That will not save us from God's terrible judgment. You see, the Israelites had to put the blood of the lamb on the door frames of their houses to show God they were trusting in the blood to protect them from the angel of death. Now, in the same way, we, you and I, have to trust personally in the Lord Jesus and his death as the payment for our sins to God. We must believe what the Lord Jesus did on the cross was for us as individuals. Jesus died for me personally. Jesus died for you personally. Only in Jesus can we find forgiveness of our sins. You see, man must have faith in order to please God and be saved. That's the application, my friend. Just mere knowledge of who Jesus is and that he died on the cross for sinners is not enough. We must apply it to us personally, confessing our personal need of him, recognizing that he died for me. He died for you to forgive our sins. Did the angel of death kill any of the firstborn children inside the house where the blood had been applied? Not at all. Look at verse 27. This is the declaration that it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. You see, God always does what he says. He said he would pass over every house where he saw the blood and he did. Verse 13 had told us the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. He had given his promise and his promise was kept. God keeps his promises. Now in the same way, you can be absolutely certain that if you trust the Lord Jesus and his death for you, you will never be punished for your sins. Because Jesus' blood paid for all your sins, you can be certain that God will never demand a second payment. All who trust only in Christ have everlasting life. Remember what John 3:16 through 18 tell us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's not some future thing. That's what he says. You'll have it. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Then verse 36 tells us, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. God has given his, his word. You see, when we question what God has done, we're calling him a liar. God has said what he's done for us, and he's given us his word that when we believe, we have everlasting life. Have in your possession, my friend, everlasting life. Because God is unchanging. He's a character that's absolutely true. He's loving and merciful and gracious. He's holy and righteous, and he demands 
death as the payment for sin, and Jesus took your place and paid your penalty of death. And it's God the Son who has done the work, and he doesn't change his mind. Now you remember that God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians, and then he led them through the Red Sea and out into the wilderness until they came to Mount Sinai. It was here at this mountain that God gave his commandments, which showed them that they were helpless sinners under condemnation of death. But because God is so loving and merciful and gracious, he instructed Moses to have a tabernacle built where he would meet with his people and forgive their sins. Once a year, the high priest was to enter into that room of the tabernacle and sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat between the two cherubim. Year after year, animals were sacrificed and their blood sprinkled on the mercy seat in the tabernacle and later in the temple at Jerusalem. But the blood of animals could never pay for sin. These offerings pointed only toward the Savior that was to come, the Lord Jesus who was yet to come and provide the one complete sacrifice for sins by giving his own perfect life. Do you remember what God did in the temple when Jesus died? Mark 15, 37 and 38 says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost, and the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. This is the curtain that had hung in front of the place in the temple where the Lamb's blood had been sprinkled year after year to cover the sins of Israel. Now why did God tear it in two? God wanted everyone to know that Jesus had paid the full price for sin. There was no longer any need for the, to offer the blood sacrifices of animals. The payment Jesus made was once and for all. Oh, how foolish the Jews were who refused to accept that Jesus was the deliverer sent from God. How foolish they were to not believe that his blood had fully paid for all sin. I've often wondered what happened to the curtain. You see, they probably sewed up the curtain in front of the Holy of the Holies and continued their blood sacrifice of animals. It wasn't necessary anymore. They should have recognized this. How foolish it would have been for them to do that when the price for the forgiveness of sins, of all sins, had been paid for by Jesus once and for all. But people today are just as foolish when they try to save themselves by the things which they do instead of simply trusting in Jesus and what he's already done. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust in what you do or in what Jesus has done for you on the cross? Now just lay a piece of paper out on the table or at least in your mind and draw a line from one end uh, from the left side all the way across the middle to the right side. And on the left, we're going to put B.C. That means before Christ. In the middle, we're going to put a cross. And way over on the right, we're going to put A.D. That means where we are now. You see, believers of the Old Testament were the ones who looked forward to Jesus' death for them. Then there were the people who lived right at Jesus' time. And there are believers who saw Jesus' death for them at that time. And now we who are believers, look back to Jesus' death, realizing that he's done the complete job for us. Now it's been said that there really are only two kinds of religion in the world. There are many names of religion, but when you boil it right down, there are really only two kinds of religion. There is the religion of do, and there is the religion of done. 
most religions of the world, regardless of what their name is, have a system of dues. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do another thing. You have to bow down toward a certain part of the world uh, five times a day and say certain prayers. Others use prayer artifacts, and they have to say prayers for whatever the situation there is that is special. Others put trust in carved images. Others yet put their trust in simply going to church and singing songs. All of these things give good feelings, and when a person has given any attention to God, one has a sense that they're on the right track, even though there's no deep inner satisfaction. In fact, often it seems like the more we do, the worse things get. And so we do more things, and we become slaves when the price has already been paid. The price has already been paid on the cross for sins, my friend. For your sin and mine, Jesus was the sacrifice once. And he sacrificed that one time for as a sacrifice for sins forever. Your sin has been paid for if you've placed your faith in the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Nothing else is needed. It's his work that we must trust in, not what we do. Now the Bible tells us that we must come to God God's way. And in the Old Testament, coming to God God's way was involving the blood sacrifice of an animal. But all of this was a picture of the one perfect sacrifice that would pay for sins once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Chapter 9, verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So blood had to be shed. But the Old Testament blood sacrifice of animals was not taking away sin. It was only a covering for sin, a temporary thing, as people were looking forward to the promise of the Deliverer. Jesus Christ was the one who would deliver us from the penalty of sin and death, eternal separation from God, which rests on every man. And in chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 27, it reminds us as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many. Unto them that look for him, he shall appear a second time without sin unto salvation. Jesus come, came to as an offering to bear the sins of many. He came to bear your sins on himself, and he's the only one that God the Father ever turned his back on. He has not yet turned his back on you, my friend. He continually calls out, as we've seen God the Father do throughout the Old Testament, in his mercy. Now you remember that mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. What do we deserve? Immediate death for sin. God had told Adam and Eve in the day that thou eatest of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And they did die in their relationship with God. And yet God called out to them. He gave them hope and a moment of absolute despair. They knew they deserved physical death right on the spot as well. But God gave them hope in their moment of judgment. God gave them the hope of one who would be born of the seed of the woman, the one who would be the deliverer, the one who would deliver mankind from the power of Satan and sin and death. 
They were separated from God at that moment. Their relationship with God died. And that's a death, my friend, that we have a hard time comprehending because we've never known the kind of a relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. But he says we're sin. We're sinful and we're separated from him. And because of our sin, we deserve to die. And death, the penalty of death rests on every man because of their sin. Why is it that we do the things that are not pleasing to God? Why is it that the things come from the heart of man that do, that are so deceitful and so immoral and so continually against the nature of God? Because we have no life connection with God. It's been severed. It's been cut off. We are spiritually dead unless we come to God God's way. And that's what God gave to Adam and Eve in that garden. He gave them the hope of a salvation to come, the hope in a deliverer. God gave them not what they deserved. That was the expression of his mercy. Yes, he did judge sin. There was physical consequence to sin right at the time, and there is yet today. But God extended his grace to them and giving them the promise of hope, giving them what they needed, not what they deserved on that moment. My friend, God has never yet given you what you deserve, and he's offering you a way of escape. That's his message through the Bible to all mankind in every generation, is look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none like me. Oh, my friend, the mercies of God are new every morning. Every morning you wake up, you can thank him for his mercy, for he has not required of you as yet the payment for sin. But he will. He surely will. And the only way of escape from that payment of sin is faith in the finished work of Christ. The work on Calvary that was done as the payment of sin of all mankind, for you and for me included. We have been given one more opportunity to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Believing that, yes, we are sinners, agreeing with God that we are absolutely unacceptable to him as we are. Voice it to him today, my friend. Tell this to God. God, I know that my sin makes you, me unacceptable to you. But I place my faith in Jesus Christ and his death as the payment which satisfies you for my sin. That's what God accepts. He cannot accept anything else. I don't care if you go to church or sing songs or do right things for a hundred years. It won't be enough to satisfy God. The only thing that God is satisfied with is the payment for sin by Jesus Christ. Now, you can just go on and pay your own payment, but if you do, the penalty of death, eternal separation in hell, eternal torment, being able to recognize what you should have done, like the rich man. Remember how he called out for Abraham to send Lazarus to put a little tip of water on his tongue. But no, it couldn't be done. And then he cried out for the Lazarus to go back from the dead and warn his five brothers. But it could not be done. It was too late. Accepting Christ as Savior must be done in this life. A conscious act of the will. Recognizing, my friend, that in ourselves we are helpless sinners. We sin because we're sinners. Let's be honest with ourselves. We've broken not one law, which is enough to condemn us to hell forever, but we've broken just about every commandment of God that there is. 
We are helpless sinners, unable to help ourselves. And so we must turn and look to him who has been lifted up, who died on that cross as the payment to satisfy God, the payment for sin that would satisfy God once and for all, for all who would believe. Titus 3.5 tells us it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, it's the Spirit of God upon our belief that creates in us a new life, a new birth, a new fellowship and relationship, friendship with God that we've never had before because we've come to God God's way. We've believed in his death in our place for our sins because we are sinners. And we accept his forgiveness because he said he would pay the penalty in our place. Jesus took your place. Jesus took my place. And I'm so glad that I've come to understand that it's Jesus that my faith is in. If my faith is in myself, I'm going to be terribly disappointed because you see, sin is still a factor in this old human body. So we place our faith in the work of Christ, and God is satisfied with us, because we are satisfied with him in our behalf. Have you placed your faith in him? Do it now. Thank you for joining me on Bible Foundations, and we'll continue again the next time we're together.